Hello everybody, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I'm Matt, a game master who can't stop talking about role-playing games. Today, we're going to talk about low-prep games. So running games with very minimal time to do preparation, or, you know, having any time ahead of time to think of what you're going to be running. Yeah, while, while I was recording this with Jen, I realized that there's kind of a lot more to say. Uh, this is a topic that has a lot of opportunity to give advice. I think a lot of us, you know, really care about our time and we want to try to maximize it. So we're, um, anyway, if this is a topic that you like and at the end of the episode, you think that there are, you know, you'd like to hear more strategies and more discussions surrounding this topic, I'd encourage you to reach out to me at role underscore play underscore chat, or you can email me at contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. I'd love to hear, you know, if, if this is something that you want to hear more of. And while you're at it, if you did like the discussion, I'd like to encourage you to rate the show on the podcatcher that you're listening this on. Uh, a five-star review or a thumbs up or a recommendation goes a long way to getting the show listened and recommended to other folks by the uh, the algorithms of those podcatchers. And yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's go right into the discussion. Hello, everybody, and I am excited to announce today's guest. Today, I have Jen with me. Jen is a cast member on Plot Hunters. She's a fellow game master and player of Pathfinder and Dungeons and & Dragons and perhaps other things that I am unaware of. So Jen, why don't you say hello to the listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself, your gaming history, and some of the things that you've got in the oven for uh, Tabletop RPG Land. Oh boy, well, hello everybody, I am Jen. Um, as mentioned earlier, a cast member on Plot Hunters. Um, I initially got into TTRPGs back in 2014, three in the morning during orientation week, freshman year of college. Um, nice. I get roped into a one-shot from uh, by an old friend. And at the end of this one-shot, I think it was Shadowrun. Um, so I guess that was technically my first. But That's we're not a hard that, system though. to start with. Shadowrun is hard. Yeah, I remember being very confused about why I'm rolling D10s and why I'm rolling them again. <laughs> um, and it didn't help that it was like three in the morning either. But at the end of this one shot, this kid comes up to me and I had no idea who he was. Like, I was just here for my friend. Um, and he's like, hey, I'm running my own game. Uh, it's in D&D 3.5. Do you want to join? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing as long as you're okay with that. Sure. I don't remember a lot about, about that year. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. At some point in the middle of that year, we switched to Pathfinder. And then the next year, sophomore year, was when I started making characters with backstories and understanding the game a little bit more. Um... And then the summer between uh, sophomore year and junior year was when I had my, I like to say I won my most improved award um, for managing to go from I don't know what the hell I'm doing to I can take this game, I can break it, and I can kill everything. <laughs> that's, um, a good, that's a nice transition. <laughs> right? Um, but since then, um, obviously, I have branched out a little bit more. Shortly afterwards, I started playing D&D 5e. And then a couple of years after that, I started, I started looking into systems that aren't necessarily D20 systems or D&D systems, like Power by the Apocalypse. I've played three or four of those, uh, of those systems. I played a game called Quest. So since then, I have branched out uh, quite a bit. Pathfinder 2 scares me, so I haven't touched it. <laughs> but, 
Um, but since then, I have branched out a little bit more. Cool, cool. And as far as like your play style, your your flavor of the game, what kind of player or game master do you categorize yourself as? Like, what what are your strengths and weaknesses and things okay, like this? Okay. Okay. Um, my biggest weakness is that, uh, I don't like the GM very much, uh, for the most part. Um, it depends. I get, I start out getting very excited and then, uh, just, you know, writing everything out, getting everything planned and going. As a player, I am very much a, I hesitate to say power gamer or min-maxer because I don't necessarily like the connotation of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like being very good at one thing, um... But I also like leaning into my weaknesses a little bit more. Also, chase down scenarios that challenge both the character and the player, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know, I here's the first tangent of the show. I, I totally agree with you. I hate I hate the terminology min-maxer. I think that obviously everyone wants their character to excel at something. And like for somebody to have a 20 deck score like yeah that if you're a dex based character you're expected to have like an 18 at least you know what i mean like it's it's one of those things that i i find yeah oftentimes people kind of frown upon people frown upon players and player characters that are optimally built to do what they're supposed to do and i i think that that's just part of the game like you can do that and still role play and you can still have a good time and you can still lean into your weaknesses to have dramatic moments. Like it's, they're not exclusive from one another. You know what I mean? But yeah, today we're going to be talking about minimum prep, minimal prep in a game, you know, as a game master. And you know what? Let's maybe we'll challenge ourselves and try to talk about it from a player perspective too. We'll see. We'll see if we can, uh, you can squeeze that out. That's something that I'm a curveball for you. <laughs> now I'm curious. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe not. Maybe I'll cut all this out. But so, um, yeah, minimal prep, as we normally do on the show, minimum prep is something that we are going to try to define. So for me, it depends on what scale we're looking at, right? So if we're looking at minimal prep in, turn, in terms of a session, what I'm thinking is you kind of know where this arc is going but you don't really know how you're going to get there. You have a point A, you have a point B, but what does that in between look like? Um, and each session may be kind of helping the players work towards that, maybe in ways that you weren't necessarily expecting, um, but just kind of outlining a general idea of how you how you think they might try to get there, but not trying to, you know, railroad it, obviously. Um, yeah. In terms of a plot line as a whole, like if I'm trying to do a minimal prep plot line, that's a little bit harder and goes into um, some deeper thoughts that I have about the best way to um, the best way to make things like NPCs and locations. And that's kind of that's more of a, an all encompassing kind of question as far as like a, an overall plot line goes. Yeah. And I think we could talk about both of these things today. I think we could talk about you know, it's crunch time. You got a game that you got to run in an hour from now and you haven't prepped anything compared to, yeah, I want to run a campaign for the next six months, but I've got a kid or, but I've got other commitments or I've got crunch time at work or whatever. I'm not going to be able to commit three hours a week to prepare for this thing. 
I want a low prep campaign. So I think, yeah, I think we can talk about both of those things. And I really like that you're focusing more on like the narrative elements of your plot. Because for me, for some reason, I immediately went to amount of time spent getting ready. Like to me, that was like, it was like this quantifiable thing. I think anything under 30 minutes, like if I have 30 minutes or less to dedicate to preparation for like a three hour game, and this is to no surprise to people listening, I love preparing games. Like that's something that I wish I could do all day. Like I wish that was my job (laughs) to prepare games, but it's, it's just not something that's feasible to me anymore. I've got two kids. I have a full-time job. I've got like pipes that burst because it's too cold outside. Like I got stupid stuff like this to deal with in my life. So I don't have time to do, I don't have time to prepare my games. Um, So yeah, to me, that's kind of where I was coming from. Uh, You want to be a composition book plot GM, but you may be stuck with being an index card plot GM. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I, (laughs) <laughs> I can't say it better than that. That's exactly <laughs> it. Um, and and honestly, it's been a really cool learning experience for me because I used to think that the end result of a game with low prep would be su- like inferior to a high prep game. And I've come to learn that that is not the case. If anything, you it's end up with... Yeah, you end up with far more interesting things when you just kind of don't know what's going on and you kind of have to roll with the punches. Um, Yeah. Like, because if you plan the end, like if you know what's going to happen at the end, why write the story? Right. Like, well, yeah, you write a book instead. You don't. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) there is so much value to not just, not just throwing up your hands and saying, do whatever you want, because that's obviously kind of a step in the other extreme. Um, but not knowing exactly how we're going to get from point A to point B creates some very interesting methods, some very interesting theories, um, and also gives you the opportunity to kind of roll with what the players think is cool. If you have everything planned out, if you have, if you know everything that's going to happen, boom, 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 and the players have a really cool idea... Honestly, I like being able to take a cool idea and just run with it. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll stop you for a second because I think you can still prep a lot without railroading your players. Like, there's, there's definitely ways to just create the, the what's going on or the, without dictating how your players react to it. You can still have, like, when I would spend hours and hours prepping for my games... It was never with the intention of like having a, a singular linear linear point from A to B, but it was like I would just spend so much time with all this fluff. But anyway, I feel like I'm a little bit rambly. I I agree with you. When you don't know what's going on, it's far easier to not accidentally railroad your players. I think is at least that's where I'm coming from. To kind of recap our definition of minimum, it's I, I think we'll take best of both worlds. Minimum in terms of the plot, which is what you talked about. Like you, you don't have the plot all figured out. You've got some, you got some start points, some end points. You, you know, you don't really know. It, it's kind of like this ambiguous zigzag. And then you've also got minimum in terms of the amount of time that you're actually spending, like quantifiably preparing for the next session. Uh, are there other elements that we think fit into this? Um, honestly, all the other elements kind of just like fall under other things that we 
we're going to be talking about. So I don't, I think we pretty much hit everything. And honestly, what's coming to mind right now, as far as planning, like, you know, I don't know how we're going to get from point A to point B, but we're going to get there. Is that one TikTok trend where they just kind of like have, you know, point A, point B, and they just kind of like go, you know, zooming around the page before actually making it to point B. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. If it, Very nice. Please tell me y'all know what I'm talking about. I like, I like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what One, I guess, caveat that I'm going to add for the listeners that I think we talked a little bit about before, and Jen, stop me if, if you, you disagree with me. But basically, I wanted to make sure that the listeners understand that today, like today we're going to be talking about things that we do to minimize our prep, to succeed when we have a lot of less time to prepare games, to be flexible in our players' decisions and, and things like this. And I realized that there's a lot of overlap here with just completely improvising your game, right? Like there's a lot of overlap with just saying, I'm going to do no prep and I'm just going to roll with everything that my players throw at me. Uh, but but that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're I don't think we're gonna get we're not we're not gonna talk about that specifically today. Obviously, there's a lot of improvisation that's gonna be required of you as a game master to adapt to your players and to kind of come up with interesting things on the fly. But I, we're not going so far as to talk about literally not preparing anything and just showing up and then just rolling dice you, you know so, so that's kind of one line that i want to draw here yeah uh, for the listeners like it's an improv scene not an improv session <laughs> yeah yeah exactly just smaller scale like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna plot out every line of, of npc dialogue but you know i might be like hey this npc will probably show up this session yeah yeah and i and i think you know what npcs are are actually a really interesting thing to talk about. So maybe we'll we'll segue into that. So now that we've got the definition out of the way, I, I think we're just going to talk about our experiences, our strategies for using minimum prep on some of these these I guess game constructs. Um, so one of them is NPCs. I think in an NPC an NPC can be a really really good tool for a game master to use for exposition can be a really, really good tool to create bonds with the party, to make them feel feelings about a place or a person or a, or a faction. But you can also over-prepare your NPCs. So I, I think if you're coming up to a game and you've only got 30 minutes to prepare for a, maybe a very important NPC that they're going to be encountering, what should and shouldn't you prepare when you're being minimalistic about it? And I guess I'll pass it to you first. One tool that I have discovered works for me and has for other GMs that I've had in the past as well is who are they and what do they want? And what will they and what are they willing to do to get what they want? I don't need to know, you know, exactly what spells they have. I don't need to know how many hit points they have or, you know, whether they have the key to the treasury. Like, I, it doesn't matter. It is what what they want and what they are willing to do to get it because if you know if you know your npcs if you know all of their motivations because that like an npc an npc especially one that's like important like we were talking about is just not not even a watered down pc it's just another main character from a different perspective that wants things and will will go to certain lengths to get them so short answer, know their motivations. I, I 
actually exactly have that. I wrote that down. I, I think if you're going to prepare an NPC, whether they're important or not, their motivation is the number one thing because that's going to help you improvise how they react to your party. It's going to help you improvise, you know, their feelings about being told certain pieces of information. It, it's really something that is core to that character's personality. It's, it's what they're striving for. And then this might sound kind of ridiculous, but I like to give my NPCs something memorable. Give them a quirk. Give them a funny hat. Give them like, I don't know, uh, a, a catchphrase that they kind of, they call everybody dear or they always, always wink. Borderline bizarre things. But the, the reason why I do that is because it kind of makes your players fixate on it. And they kind of like forget that you didn't describe the rest of them. <laughs> so it, it makes them memorable retroactively. And I think that that's what's important here is that if you can make the party and the people playing the game look back and be like, oh yeah, I remember that person. That's the person that had the really cool hat. They're going to, like, that's what they're going to remember whether you prepared a bunch of other stuff or not. Yeah, and to, and to throw a little bit of heartbreak in there, you know, let's say a building collapses in the middle of town one day and all they can see is the bright yellow scarf with the purple L on it. Oh my God, it's... Lawrence, the merchant. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, the silk merchant who sold yes, amazing exactly. scarves. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can even drop like small clues like that. And, you know, please don't kill poor Lawrence because I'm sure he didn't deserve it. But <laughs> just like you can really use it to tug on your players' heartstrings a little bit. I, I, I want to like add in a little, a little, a little nugget there. I, I think motivation sometimes can scare people away. Because people kind of have this, there's this implication that someone's motivation has to be important. It has to be like this, my life, my life's goal is to achieve king, like to be the king of this kingdom. But no, Man, like, what if a you motivation just want the koi pond? Be, yeah, it can be simple. It can be small. Lawrence's motivation can be that he wants to make a purple scarf. He's never made a purple scarf before because he doesn't have the dyes to make a purple scarf. Yeah, yeah. It, could, it could just be like, what's what's the next step? Lawrence wants his purple scarf. Great. Can you guys please go over to, you know, this mountain with the magical purple flowers that are rumored to never lose their pigment? Yeah, simple, simple little things. Yeah, so so NPCs are, are one part of the game. We touched a little bit on another part of the game, and, and that is plot hooks and quest hooks. How do you feel about introducing plot hooks and quest hooks into... Uh, a game that you've prepared very little for. So I haven't actually had the opportunity to do that yet. I have thought about it a lot. Um, okay, that's good. Just yeah, given the fact that, <laughs> I, like, I don't know how your games are, but in Plot Hunters, we sometimes just do so much. We just have so, we just have so many different directions we can go, and sometimes we just kind of veer off in wild directions. But if I find myself in a position where I have to improvise a plot line. It depends on whether it's, you know, main plot or a side quest, right? So if it's a side quest, honestly, I am a huge fan of the bulletin board and side quests. Wanted five wolf pelts kind of thing. A little more exciting than that, maybe. Like maybe there's a cranky mage in a tower nearby. But I will try and tailor the side quests to something the group either has wanted for a while or needs. If I notice my players complaining like, 
Man, I wish we had an immovable rod. There's a mage tower nearby now. Congratulations. Go get it. A as a GM, you definitely know that the players always want something. Um, so my personal strategy for side quests is probably going to be something along the lines of what have you been griping about for the longest? Yeah, I, I really like that. And I, I really agree with that, too. You know, lean on stuff that you might have already you've already introduced. I excuse me, I I'd be hesitant to start something too wide. If it's, you know, if it's a one-time unprepared game, excuse me, I keep like hiccuping, but yeah, so if, if you've got a game that you've been preparing for often and you find yourself having to run, you know, a, a one-off game with little preparation, I would kind of lean on a previous thing that you've seeded in the past. Or I really like how you talked about the desires of your party. I think something that can be a lot of fun when you introduce kind of a new plot hook is to use something that's that you've been avoiding integrating into your game. So like something in someone's backstory or um, maybe maybe like a desire that one of your players really, really wants. So f for instance, and it's kind of come around and it's been hard for me to deal with, but it's still been fun. W one of my players, I play in a pirate campaign, he has a son that he's never met. That his son is gone far away, he's never been able to communicate with him. And one day I decided to have an NPC show up and be like, I have a letter from your son. And I, and, and he gave him the letter. I like wrote out on a piece of like lined paper, you know, a letter from his son being like, I'm doing well, but this, this thing's happening and that thing's happening. And I'm worried, you know, they're sending me off to this work camp. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I hope you can come help me. And done that's it and i and i gave it to the player and now he was like losing it he's like yes my son like oh my gosh i'm so happy and he was like acting you know he was role playing this like euphoric moment of of hearing from his son for the first time in a very long time but also the devastating oh yeah he's a great player but the devastating news that his son like is scared and is going somewhere that he doesn't know like he's uncertain about and so it cre kind of created this problem for me later. But in the moment, it was this really exciting roleplay moment that, you know what? Had I had I tried to plan it out, I would have been like, ah, this is too complicated. I'm not going to do it right now. But because I was like, ah, you know what? Screw it. I need something. He, this is going to be fun. Just, just give your players, throw them a bone, and you can kind of deal with the consequences of it after. You can try to bring it back into the main plot later. And it yeah. will. You'll, you'll find a way to bring it back. Like your players are going to they're gonna yeah. care enough about this. I, you I'm going to be honest. To when you started talking about the, 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 the letter from the son, I was half expecting you to say, and the person carrying the letter was secretly his son watching for his reaction. Um. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's not something I could have done without preparing it, I think. <laughs> I'm not that no, smart. That's, that's super cool, though, because it, it makes... Ideally, if your if your if your players are you know creating characters and engaging with the world, they're going to care about their characters in the world. And I I know that a lot of players will kind of roll with plot hooks because they know their plot hooks. I would rather have them roll with plot hooks because they care about them. And you can also only plan so much as even as far as the overarching storyline. Like I have a notebook. I normally I'm a very digital person. I like to have everything digitized just because I don't even know why. I try to think about it too much, um, but I have a notebook for writing and planning. There's just something that feels better about, you know, the physical paper. And 
I'm I'm writing, I'm scribbling, I'm crossing things out, and I'm writing, and I'm thinking like, why can't I get all of this plot planned? And there were two answers. One, I really shouldn't be planning the entire thing because I'm railroading it before it even starts. But also, I realized like, yeah. I know what's missing, all of my players' backstories, because I don't know them yet. Um, but like, I'm kind of planning on having on having them come up at an opportune time. And obviously you can't really plan an opportune time. So that's going to be a fun exercise in minimal planning in that I kind of know what's going on, but I don't know when or how it's going to come up. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point. And that kind of speaks to this idea of having like a lower prep campaign. Right. And this is going to sound like a little bit of a cop out, but I don't think it's a bad thing for a game master to be open with this kind of stuff with their players. I, I think if if you're a game master that doesn't have a lot of time to to prepare for a game and for, for, for a campaign, rather, tell your players. Say, look, this is something that I can't commit much time to. I, I want to be invested. I am invested in it. But I can only really prepare 30 minutes a week for this for this game. And for this to be enjoyable for all of us, maybe there's some like things that we need to establish off from the get-go. Preparing how your party is together and why there's unification, I think is fair game. To be like, look, you guys figure it out, but you're a party and you're not going to backstab each other. And you're you're here to achieve a common goal. And like, you're, you know, it's like your co-workers. You don't have to like each other, but you have to work together. So figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, my Tuesday night game actually is one of those games they were talking about where it's like, I plan for 30 minutes. Nice. And sometimes those 30 minutes happen in the middle of session. Like I have gotten messages from poor Ben. Uh, ironically, this, the same person who um, got me started in D&D being like, hey, do you want to be in my uh, 3.5 game? Like at one point he messages me in the mi like in the middle of session. He's like, what's your AC again? I'm, tr I'm, tr I'm trying to balance <laughs> combat real quick. And I'm just like, we're going into combat now. Nice, <laughs> um, nice. Like, he clearly focuses his planning more into uh, the social aspect than the, well, his, his very limited planning into the social rather than the combat. Um, but, like, we went into this game knowing that it wasn't going to be a planned game. Like, he wouldn't have a lot of time to plan things out. And we went into it knowing there might be inconsistencies. There might be times when, you know, it's 90% combat because he really hasn't had much time to plan anything else. But, yeah. like, the, the transparency... If I hadn't had that transparency, I might have gotten kind of sick of it. And this is this is someone who has earned almost unquestioning like loyalty f like from me at least. But still, without that heads up of I'm not planning much, it would have been hard as a player, I think. Yeah, yeah, you got to manage expectations. I think that, that that's something that especially in a low prep environment, especially if you're not used to running a game in a low prep environment, right? And and I think focusing on the things that your players want out of the game and also focusing on your strengths, right? You as a game master, you have things that you're good at. Hopefully those things like overlap with the things that your players want out of a game. So if you're a game master who's super good at role play, who can like pull out all these amazing characters and accents and things if you have to improvise or not improvise if you, if you have to have a low prep game well lean on that strength maybe make it, it mostly role play 
Give them a ballroom scene. Yeah. Have have a party. Have them all go to like the spa and they're like sitting in a hot sauna with like the mob boss. And Lawrence is in there too talking <laughs> about his scarf business. You know, he's trying to get a loan. With his silken the- loincloth. <laughs> with his with his loincloth, yes. <laughs> I wish y'all could see the faces it's a, that I'm making right now. It's a purple silk loincloth, right? Because that's his. He achieved his goal of getting the. Purple oh, he did. Guy. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Now he's on to bigger and better things. He wants to open up a like a food truck, but for silks. <laughs> <laughs> with every hot dog you buy, you get a free scarf. That's the Lawrence on wheels. I love it. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm I'm putting Lawrence on my next game. I'm writing it down just so you know. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so lean on your strengths, lean on the things your players like. I think we have to talk about random tables. If if we're talking about low prep, got to talk about these kinds of tools. Personally, I'm not a fan of random tables. I I feel Same. like random tables. It's just taking away an opportunity to put something with intention. Yeah. In my mind. It feels it feels like a little bit of a cop out. But at the same time, like let's be honest, if you don't have a lot of time to prepare your game, there there's valuable like they're still valuable. I yeah. I think what I personally would recommend, and this is something that I've maybe talked about already on the show, but I, I really like something called an interrupt. And we have an episode on it. I forget when we talked about it. Probably two years ago. Probably in season one or early season two. But basically, real quick, an interrupt is this event that comes and interrupts what's happening in the game. It's a way to kind of get out of a long-haul-winded conversation with an NPC or to stop your party from exploring for too long or things like this. An explosion down and, the street, that kind of thing. Yeah, they're, they're, you just kind of like butt in with something that's going on that the players have to kind of handle have to deal with address and the beauty of an interrupt is that you can tailor it to a situation it can be tailored to a location it could be tailored to a specific circumstance it could be tailored to a specific player so i like to prepare these this little list of interrupts and i prepare them based on kind of the pace of the game so if the pace if if the game is in like a serious mood and I want to lighten the mood of the game, I've got like five or six interrupts that I can use. If they're traveling, I've got five or six that I can use. And if it's, I want to introduce like this cliffhanger type moment that's like, it's near the end of the game, I want everybody to get real serious real fast, here's this kind of interrupt that's going to come in and like shake things up. So I've got kind of these tables that I prepare for myself, and then I, and then I don't roll on them, but I have them in my notebook, and I'll just... Like, okay, you know what, we're traveling. Ah, oh, this one looks relevant. Let's let's throw that in. So I do that prep, and it takes me about half an hour to make these things. And they're very high level, like super surface level. Uh, an example of a stupid one is like, oh, there's this giant narwhal that wants to know your character's greatest desires that just shows up. Like, it's a pirate game, so like a narwhal shows up. He's got this big, like, oh, voice, really, really oh. whale voice. And he comes in. <laughs> And he's like, what's your dream? And the players are like, what the hell is this? Like, do we fight it or do we answer it? And so anyway, that, it takes up time in your game. Yep. It's fun. Yep. Sometimes it feels like it's like a filler episode. Sometimes it feels That's like fine. it's important. But it's usually at least relevant. You know, it's it's relevant to some to some 
objective or some long-term goal or something like this. But um, yes, we were talking about random tables. Sorry, did you did you have thoughts about random tables, Jen? Um, I am not a fan. I basically what I did. The, I've only used random tables twice in my life. Uh, once because the very first game I ever ran was an adventure path that had random tables. We got one session in and decided to scrap the entire thing and improv the rest of it um, because it sucked so much. So we're not gonna talk about that one. But the second time was me basically being like, okay, so these guys are gonna go in search of money. And the most elegant way I can think of to get this done is to have them run into someone who's offering a reward for something. Um, So I made a random table for, you know, rich, like rich family who lost their poodle, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. You know, map out this cavern for some money. And it's funny because th- this this instance actually was what made me decide to never have random tables again. <laughs> um, because I added one and on a hundred, their recurring villain showed up. And of course I rolled a hundred. Oh my gosh. So I look at the die and I'm like, so remember that guy from the woods? He's here now. And like I just, I just took, I just, I just took the ta- random table, erased the file, and put it down. And I was like, "So you're with him now." <laughs> um, and like it ended up working out fine, but it also made me realize it would have probably, it, it probably would have been more fun to just have him show up and know what he wanted. For me, it would have been better to just know he was going to show up and have an idea of what he was doing there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, but. You know, there, like like we said, there's place there's places for random tables, but absolutely, it, it's better when there's intention. Um, I think in a pinch they work. Um, maybe they work as inspiration as and less as like you you know, dictation of what your role and that's what you do. Um, kind of brings me to another strategy that I like to employ. It's kind of more focused on environment building, but I I really love mood boards. It's it's this. You know, it's a collection of like, I don't know, five to ten pictures that embody the feeling of, of what you're trying to get across. And if I'm being honest, if I have very little time to prepare a new environment that my players are going to go explore, that's the first thing I do. I jump on Pinterest. I'm like, what's the mood of this place? And I'll find like, oh, this NPC looks cool. They've got like a skeleton armor. Oh, this this swampy looking like disaster of a cavern looks cool these like posters of recipes of like creation of like some weird like creature of some kind like some kind of chimera type thing anyway I, I put together this board and then that is all of those are my concepts that's what i'm going to go to when i try to think of like the core elements of this environment that they're in so i don't have to have a map i don't have to have uh, I don't have to have like all the treasures laid out or the books in the bookshelf figured out. I know all of that because I kind of have this this sense of self for the space that they're in. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned Pinterest because um, I actually have a Pinterest account for one reason and one reason only. It is that <laughs> um, I actually have like categorized a bunch of images like of course i have a couple of mood boards for a couple of characters because of course i do but i have a treasure trove of illustrations everything from npcs to weapons to books to spell aesthetics and one of my favorite things to do when i'm prepping a session is just to scroll through 
very frequently, if I know that 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 my players are going to end up in a place or meeting a person, like sometimes I will scroll through my NPC treasure trove or my aesthetic treasure trove and see if I happen to come across something mm. that fits perfectly. Yeah. On Pinterest, that's cool. I actually have an interesting question for you, which is the dreaded shopping episode. If you have minimal time to plan for that, what do you do? I mean, it can be fun, and I. I think what makes shopping episodes the most fun is when you you know you've got a wacky shopkeeper who's got something relevant to say, who's got something like a plot hook, who's got something that's like you know leveling up the the a, a plot seed that you've planted before, or maybe pushing forward the you know the narrative that you've got going on. But but um, man, I had I had something and now I forget what I was going to talk about shopping um, oh yes okay you talked about shopping being at the end of a game um i think that actually wouldn't be my approach if i was trying to run a long-standing campaign with little prep and the reason for that and the reason i would be i I wouldn't like to do that is because it leaves the end of the game too open-ended I think that's fair. Yeah, kind of want to know what they're going to do next. You want to know what you're going to do next. So I find a really good pace to a game if you want it to be um, minimal prep. The whole campaign to have minimal prep is to kind of introduce plot hooks and start action. I want to say halfway through the game. You know, make sure that your players kind of pick a direction near the halfway point. So that they can start heading towards that direction in the like last 45% of the game. The last 5% of your game, you throw some like crazy curveball that you have no idea how to resolve, but you just throw it in there. They're like, oh my god, what a cliffhanger. I can't wait to see what happens next. And you're like, in the in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, me too. I, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> and then when you prepare your next game, it's like, you know where you're going. You don't have to. Yeah, you, you know what's gonna happen. Like you have, like you have an already like looming situation that you have to resolve. Exactly. And then they get to where they're going. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like this like reverse bell curve where the pace of the game ought to start high. As the game progresses, it it lowers, and then as it gets to the end, it starts to increase again. You don't want to force that pace. Like I think that that can be harmful. To like your player's experience, but you kind of want to try to strive for it. I think, especially if you want minimum prep. Yeah, and that kind of actually like brings me to like the the a point that I feel is obvious in a subtle way, but it's so much easier to go minimal planning if you just know your players. It sounds so simple and so obvious, but I've also like. I, but I've met people who have expected certain characters to act in ways they would never act, and it threw off their entire plan. Mm. I've seen people hinge their entire plan. Like, I've actually been the character that the entire plan was hinged on. Like, the big bad literally hitched a ride on my back to the last remaining stronghold of the Resistance because the GM knew that he could count on my character to make that call. Mm. To be clear, I didn't know it was the big bad. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> um, but like, 
it's so much easier to not have to plan so much when you know your players and know your characters and know, like, if you just pay attention to how they are played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that goes back to preferences. I think that's a really good point. Um, um, I, I have a few other things that I jotted down about low prep games, like low prep campaigns. So one thing is notebooks. I carry like a little moleskin notebook around with me. And whenever anything inspires me, I write it down. It can be my toddler, like calling a woodpecker, a tree hitter. And I'm like, that's cool. I want a tree hitter. That's going to be like, I don't know, a new faction or a monster or something. It's cool. I'm going to write it down. We'll, we'll see how that fits in later. So having these, having the, a little notebook where I can jot things down and then come back to it when I'm, when I'm lacking inspiration. Um, the number of times I've just had a friend, like I, like I've been on like a several hour drive or, you know, just out and about and I, and I see something like sometimes if I have a friend, if I have a friend with me and I see something and I'm, and I can't do anything about it, I'll be like, Hey, text me that sign right there. Very important to be able to just kind of take things from your surroundings. Sometimes I'll think of a name that sounds very fantasy-ish. I have a page in the back of my notebook that is specifically for names. Nice. And I have tried to convince myself that it is okay to just scribble in a notebook. It doesn't have to look perfect. Like my notebook right now starts off gorgeous, beautiful penmanship, neat little paragraphs and head and headers and all that crap. And and then you can literally see the point where I was like, freeform it, freeform it, baby. Nice. And. Honestly, the difference in how fast I was producing, like, my content, astounding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I love it. That's, yeah, just literally vomit on the page. Like, you have a cool thought, yeah. put it on. It's yep. what matters. The, the, the things that and, inspire you. And, like, don't you. be afraid to scribble things out. That was such a fun lesson for me. I, I scribble things out all the time. I don't worry about the aesthetic because the scribbles are the, are the aesthetic. And, I mean, no one's going to, like, you're not going to photocopy this thing and sell it on etsy you know what i mean like it's not for i mean maybe you have aspirations to that i certainly I don't i mean <laughs> to this day i have villain character sheets from a campaign from like four years back that i made my uh my old gm give me so mm, nice 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 but yeah anyway There's somewhere in my closet i i think it's it's useful it's you know it's, it's a useful way to get to keep track of things um something too that i really like is it's it's Every year there's this there's this contest called the One Page Dungeon. I, I recommend everybody go look at it. You can even submit your own if you if you feel inspired to do so. But the, you know the idea is literally it's a dungeon that fits on one page. You've got all the descriptions of the dungeon, you've got all of the like checks or monsters or whatever on one page. The, even like the introductory blurb to give to the spiel to give to your players when you start. And I love these things. One, because they have all kinds of neat settings. You know, there's some sci-fi things, there's some dark fantasy things, there's some high fantasy things. There's some like 1920s real world settings, like all kinds of cool settings that people use for these things. And you could like splice them. You could be like, oh, this one's sci-fi, but I want to turn it into fantasy or vice versa. And they make for amazing inspiration for you to just kind of plop in. You know, oh, that's a cool dungeon. I like the layout. It's all figured out for me already. Let's run with this. Let's make this the next dungeon we're going to use. 
Uh, you can buy them in like compendiums if you want to, but each entry is available for free. Like you can find them all. You can find the winner of each year. I think the website is called the one page dungeon.com or something like that. You know, just look it up. I'll put it in the show notes too, but it's, I've, I've run a lot of great one shots using those and I've run a lot of really good adventures. Just like, let's take that. Let's stretch it where there's room to be stretched and make it, you know, a three, four night thing. Um, yeah. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of I fun. I love that idea. Okay, I'm going to coin something. And you can you can challenge me on this if you want. But I think people, when they world build, if they don't want to spend too much time doing it, and this is like a touchy subject for me because I love world building, but you should try to clump world building. And by that, what I mean is you take your world and just circle sections of it to make certain ecologies to be like ah this is gonna be a mountain place this is gonna be like a hot place this is gonna be a rainforest type place and even if that's all you do i think that's setting groundwork for yourself because when your players start to adventure into a certain space you've already kind of have this baseline yeah very general idea for yourself that you can kind of run with Okay, we're in a rainforest. What kind of resources are there? What kind of people might exploit those resources? What kind of conflicts might exist in a space that has these resources but not those resources? You know, you kind of let the ball roll a little bit. Uh, For me, that helps my creation a lot. And I can go down this rabbit hole. So if you just kind of clump it, generalize it, give each zone a, a kind of classification that gives you an idea, you can figure out the rest later. You know, you can fill it in later. Nobody cares. Not, not, not nobody cares, but nobody needs to know all that information on the onset. And another thing that I think people tend to often overlook, especially now, because I think people tend to run a lot of games outside of dungeons, but mm-hmm. I, I think there's still room for a dungeon game, you know, for the whole campaign to be this, like, multi-layer dungeon delve. And there is a beautiful simplicity about a dungeon that kind of makes it easier to prep for yeah and like the game is so versatile like there's there are so many things you can do with it and i like granted it also depends on the system right like like there are certain systems where it's a little bit harder to plan um but ultimately i love how i'm always going to be a pathfinder ho sorry guys (laughs) but um but like even the even the more complicated systems where you know the combat mechanics are just very very intricate, the roleplay vibe is just so much fun to mess with, and you can put that literally anywhere. Like you can have like a little camp of very scared adventurers that got trapped and never made it out. Like there are so many things that you can do, even when you're quote unquote limited to a dungeon. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that framework helps. Right, because it it helps you as a game master to prepare. It helps your players kind of know what to expect. Overall, it can create a really fun atmosphere. So, I'd be tempted to say if people want to run a very low prep game off the get go, do that. And it doesn't have to be. You know what? Here's something that I'd like to know your opinion on. How do you feel about prepared games, and like like adventures, like modules and stuff? I have never run an actual module, like a Wizards of the Coast published D&D module before. I've run some independent ones or I've used them as inspiration, but 
I've often found that those things can be more work because you need to like absorb someone else's creative. You need to learn the story. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, is, is that something that you've done? So I have run one module in my life. I ran one session of it. Um, it was the Skull and Shackles module. Um, it was actually written by um, Paizo because it was Pathfinder. Um, it was actually one that I co-jammed with someone else. We just, we were both new to it. We wanted, you know, you know, lean on each other, help each other out. We made it through one session and then we were like, Hmm. So we just took it from there and rewrote the entire story because we just hated it so much. Um, <laughs> now, granted, I will say that the Watsi modules for 5e have been much more encouraging in terms of just like the, you know, just everything, the plots, the the, the mechanics. Um, the Plot Hunters actually is, actually, I want to say like 80% module. Cool. There's been one arc that was entirely you know like originally written and of course there is you know backstory stuff written in for all of us but we have been primarily doing i think we did curse of strahd Waterdeep dragon heist just a, bu a bunch of things and like i've had fun with it but i also don't know what it's like to be on the other side of the screen of you know of watsi modules personally i prefer homebrew games just because there's something very nice about getting to know someone's personal game style and that really comes out better when they write the game themselves yeah yeah that's true and you can always i feel like you can always improvise something better if you have to if you know the core of it is something that you you birthed yes. you know you created um yeah cool. now obviously like the homebrew does have a limit, right? Like there are some people who I wouldn't trust a homebrew world, but I would absolutely trust to, for example, run a homebrew campaign in an existing world, right? Someone can't, if someone doesn't know how to build a world, that's fine. Take Eberron, just put something into it. It's full of everything. There are d so many different ways to put your own flavor into a campaign aside from, you know, just homebrewing literally everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So. Uh, I think I rifled off a bunch of stuff. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't cover today in in minimum prep that, that we ought to... I'm looking at my notes to make sure I did cover everything. At least on my end, I think I'm good. I got to ramble about so much crap. I had so much fun. <laughs> good, 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 good. Um, all right, so before we, before we close up the show, then let's do a quick conclusion. Let's kind of wrap up what we talked about today with a pretty little bow. So uh, I'll start. We talked about minimum prep. We defined that as being in terms of time and in terms of like plot involvement, basically, you know, how much of the plot you're figuring out, how much time you're committing to doing this preparation. And this applies for one-off games where you didn't prep enough or long-standing campaigns where you want to have less involved preparation so that's kind of how we, we we defined it and then what were some of the, the you know the big takeaways of today's conversation jen over to you um honestly the, the the biggest one that stands out to me is what we talked about which is just having a baseline establishing a foundation for your game and once you have that 
it's so much easier to build off of it and it makes life so much easier when you don't have time to plan. That's that was kind of my big takeaway is build a strong foundation. Yeah. I yeah, I think I agree with that. That that's definitely a big takeaway. And and I think part of that foundation if we dissect it a little bit more for characters, it's motivation, for locations, it's ambiance and mood, for for combat it can be like how deadly it is and the g- genericness of your enemies, like what kind of enemies, the composition of the enemies. Yeah. For plot lines, it's kind of beginning and end. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah, big beginning and end for plot lines. So I think, yeah, have the core figured out, maybe build up some resources for yourself, whether it's creating your own tables, creating your own list or, you know, boards of characters or notes in a notebook. But I, I think having this place for your inspiration to go and then go back to helps a lot. Yeah. Like well. a series of prompts have prompts. Yeah. Great. Okay, cool. So that, I think that covers it. Was there anything else? I'm, I'm making sure we didn't miss anything, but I think we surmised that pretty well. I think, I think we pretty much covered it and a little bit more too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well then with that, I want to pass the microphone over to you. Thank you, Jen, for being here to discuss minimal prep with me it's been a lot of fun where can people find you if they wanted to find you they thought your insights were insightful and uh they want to know more about yourself well that well that'll be their first mistake but um <laughs> i can be found um on twitter at jenburb um other than that i don't really have too much of a streamed ttrpg presence yet call me I want to be in your games. <laughs> um, but uh, I do have a stream Saturday game that runs bi-weekly, uh, Plot Hunters. We can be found on Twitch um, Saturday nights, uh, 5 p.m. PST, 8 p.m. EST. Uh, we run for three hours. And a huge shout out to my lovely friend, the host, for uh, letting me come on and ramble at him for like an hour and a half. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Thank, thank you for being here. This was This was a lot of fun. So I guess, yeah, if, if people want to reach out, I highly recommend it. I'll also be putting Jen's contact information in the show notes. If you guys had questions for me or you wanted to reach out uh, to me about the show, today's episode or, or future episodes or past episodes, you can do that. Contact role play chat, role underscore play underscore chat. No, I'm so confused. Twitter is at role underscore play underscore chat. And my email is contact role play chat, all one word, at gmail.com. So please uh, let me know. And uh, with that, thanks, Jen, again, for being here. Thank you. This was super fun. Yeah, it was a blast. So let's call it a chat. Peace.